the Responsible Investing Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Hello, I'm Amanda Young, your host for today. You are listening to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, discussing all things relating to responsible investing. Now, regular listeners will have heard from previous podcasts on impact investing, first with Sarah Gordon of the Impact Investing Institute, and then one of our fund managers who runs mainstream impact investment strategies, Sarah Norris. Today, I'm keen to continue those conversations and this theme by speaking with Alistair Davis, who is the Chief Executive of Social Investment Scotland. Now, Social Investment Scotland is a social enterprise that offers loan funding and business support for social enterprises to make a positive impact in people's lives. CIS, as it's otherwise known, also runs impact investments in the truest sense where money is allocated to enterprises that have a social or environmental mission. Alistair joined CIS in 2009 initially to run the investment team and in 2011 becoming its chief executive. Before working at CIS, he worked with the Bank of Scotland's community banking and here he developed his broad and extensive knowledge of social investment. He has completed the Strategic Perspectives of Social Investment Programme at Harvard Business School. He's been awarded a Fellowship of the Chartered Bankers Institute, and he currently sits on the board of Northeast Social Investment Company in England, on the board of the Scottish Children's Lottery and with Scottish Edge. Alistair's hobbies outside of making a difference through investments include holidays on the high seas and time in the kitchen working on his latest culinary creations, sadly none of which I have tried. And an interesting fact about Alistair is that work once took him to the basement of Buckingham Palace. What I don't know is why. So Alistair, it's a pleasure to have you with us today and perhaps we can start with finding out how on earth you ended up in Buckingham Palace. Thanks, Amanda. It's really good uh, to be with you today, and I'm delighted uh, to have been invited. So the story about Buckingham Palace is perhaps the most interesting work meeting I ever had. And you mentioned as part of the introduction that I used to work uh, at Bank of Scotland Community Banking, and that team uh, Mm -hmm. within the bank managed a range of banking relationships with not-for-profit organisations in their broadest sense. And at one point in my time with that team, I found myself as uh, one of the banking partners for a banking relationship called Treasurer to the Queen, which is actually some of the money that is held by the royal family and was income from the civil list at that point in time. So as somebody who has a mild fascination, some would say obsession with the royal family, (laughs) the opportunity to go and have a customer meeting at Buckingham Palace was too good an opportunity to pass up. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I remember as a relatively young member of the Bank of Scotland staff at that time, turning up at the tradesman's entrance to Buckingham Palace to go and meet with the people that managed the Queen's accounts and ended up having that meeting in the basement of Buckingham Palace. So it'll be a moment I'll never forget. Wow, that's a really interesting story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, perhaps we can move on to responsible investing. Alistair, perhaps we can start with hearing a little bit about you. We've heard a little bit about uh, your your activities so far, but what has driven you to be a leading light within the social impact investment industry? Well, it's a, in some ways it's an honour to be called a leading light, but I guess this is never where I expected my career to end up. But I guess who whoever expects their career to end up in the place where it does can sometimes be a bit of a winding road. But I, I can't say I ever really had any great 
desire or passion to work in this sector until I ended up uh, in, in the role that I've mentioned with the Bank of Scotland. I started off with that institution in a fairly conventional graduate development program uh, and eventually uh, landed in that team. And what I found was that the, the work that we did there, uh, I had a real affinity with the the aims and objectives of the organisations uh, that we were working with. And it really chimed with the passion that I have personally to make a difference. So that's that's really where I cut my teeth in terms of um, investment uh, in its broadest sense, particularly within the not-for-profit sector. But what happened then was we lived through the financial crash and the, the team that I worked in very much lost its ability to be innovative and the bank saw that sector very much as just a way of raising further deposit balances to build up the balance sheet and the capacity to do things differently disappeared. So the opportunity then came up to join Social Investment Scotland. This is back in 2009. And in some ways, Social Investment Scotland at that time was a bit like the team that I was leaving. It was small, it was nimble, it could be quite innovative. And I initially led the delivery of the £32 million Scottish Investment Fund, which was backed by the Scottish Government. And what an honour that was. But really, there was quite an interesting shift. So I used to be a bank manager. People really weren't that interested in engaging with me about what it was that they were doing. But when I went to SIS, I had something that they wanted. I had a fund that they wanted access to. Yeah. And really what that meant was that they were far more open and giving me access to the uh, the real deep impact of the, the difference that they were making to people's lives through their work. And it, it was that where uh, the penny really dropped. This was a sector where um, I really wanted to spend the next phase of my career and really drive that forward. It's that it's that impact that drives me and it's that the desire to make a difference that has continued to drive the growth of CIS, uh, particularly after I was appointed as Chief Exec of CIS 10 years ago now. So undoubtedly, uh, it's a role that has its challenges. But it's the clear purpose that we have as an organisation that drives me. And it's certainly that purpose uh, that makes a difference to my role and something that I really do love. Well, it's great that you are part of the industry um, with the passion that you've had. Now, we've heard a lot about impact investing as a new concept in mainstream investment. But I don't think that's really the case within the focused social investment industry. Perhaps you can go on to share a little bit about uh, your view on the context and the history of social impact investment. So I think you're right about it seeming like it's a shiny new thing, but actually it's certainly my belief that the impact investment industry that exists today stands on the foundations of decades of community activism and participation. Mm -hmm. So this year CIS actually celebrates its 20th anniversary and we passed the milestone uh, towards the end of last year of having made investments of £100 million. Now, that's small fry, I think, to what you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, Amanda, but it was a really significant milestone for an organisation that was originally set up with quite humble beginnings. Yeah. And there's a whole range of things that I could cover in terms of the history of social impact investment in the context of CIS, but there are two particular things that have been on my mind uh, as we have recognised this milestone. And the first is the, the international perspective that obviously is still relevant for impact investment today. So this is what's known as a CDFI, which stands for a Community Development Finance Institution. And CDFIs are far more prevalent in the US uh, than what they are in the UK. And what a CDFI does is provide access to finance for borrowers, be they individuals or corporates, where they're being failed by the mainstream market. And I think what's interesting as I look back is that the founders of CIS, you know, so that's people like Dame Susan Rice, uh, Wendy Alexander, were looking globally 
for the answers to uh, the challenges the society was facing uh, back here in Scotland. And I think that there's a, a strong parallel there between the impact investment industry, which has got much more of a global focus than perhaps CIS would have had back in the early days. And then secondly, there's something that's really chiming with me at the moment, looking back in terms of the focus of di on diversity. So the whole reason that CDFIs were established in the States is they discovered that the market was actually discriminating against certain neighbourhoods, largely African-American communities. And what that meant was that the banks were mandated through legislation to actually provide credit to those borrowers, and they did that through the avenue of CDFIs. And in some ways, that issue of discrimination, as we know, Amanda, has never gone away. Um, it's, it's right across uh, the investment industry. Um, and I think that context is really important as we move forward with impact investment to ensure that we provide uh, people of colour and other underrepresented groups access to investment. Uh, but I think also importantly to make sure that they're able to access that investment from an industry that reflects themselves and they can see themselves reflected in that industry. So there's a, there's a range of different things that are on my mind as I look back to the creation of CIS, albeit I wasn't there myself at that time, but certainly I've been with the organisation now for the majority of its journey. Um, I think that takes us on neatly to something that I'm quite keen to get your views on, where some of the purer social impact investors are uncomfortable with working with the mainstream. So it's interesting to, to hear how this has come out of the mainstream, if you like, and potentially see profit as a dirty word. I'd welcome your views on this, as well as how you're seeing the crossover points between mainstream investment and the pure social impact players. Well, so I guess it goes without saying that I definitely do not see uh, profit as a dirty word. Uh, but I think what's more important is to think about what that profit means. And for me, that profit is all about sustainability. Yep. And if an organisation or an enterprise or of any description is obviously not making profit by implication, I believe that it's therefore not sustainable. And if we want to see the delivery of sustainable, lasting social impact from our investments, then we need those organisations to be uh, profitable and making a surplus on their activities, or at least have a clear route uh, towards making that surplus. I think that sometimes uh, the social enterprise sector could do with focusing a bit more on the enterprise part of the sector rather than the social side. There, there, it's, a, it's a balance that has to be struck, and it's a fine balance. Uh, but if you've got a solid business model, uh, then you can you can find a way to provide both. And I think when you talk about crossover points, I very much see Social Investment Scotland as part of that crossover. We, you know, we are an intermediary that faces off into both parts of this ecosystem. And that sometimes means that I have to be suited and booted to raise the money from investors like yourselves. But it also means that I need to throw on the jeans and a polo shirt to be talking directly to um, impact entrepreneurs to find out exactly what it is that they want to achieve and how investment might help them realise that goal. So there are, there's undoubtedly tension. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a positive okay. tension, uh, and I think there's a responsibility on us as an industry to help people find a way through that tension. Yeah, nice, healthy tension, sometimes probably uncomfortable. Perhaps maybe we can now just go on to Social Investment Scotland, or CIS itself. Um, you're involved in a range of activities. One of these is CIS Ventures. It's a fund. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about this fund and the types of investments it is making. So CIS Ventures is a relatively new part of the CIS group, and I'm one of the founders of it alongside uh, one of my former colleagues, Thomas Gillen, uh, who used to be our CFO and who continues to serve uh, on the board uh, of CIS Ventures. And together with Thomas and the wider team at CIS, we recognise that 
there was a new model uh, emerging, particularly amongst entrepreneurs, whereby it wasn't just traditional forms of so social enterprise that could be used to create impact. And particularly when we were talking about impact at scale, um, and we saw a new generation of entrepreneurs who were driven by purpose and profit uh, and were looking for investment that was aligned with those dual ambitions to help them realise their aims. So initially, Sys Ventures raised a small fund from a group of individual investors uh, using tax relief that was available. And that investment was used to establish an initial portfolio of eight ventures. And we call those ventures mission-driven businesses. And this is early stage equity that we're making available to these mission-driven businesses. It's not debt, unlike the rest of CIS. But we see ourselves as being the lead impact investor in these investment rounds. And what that means is, in return for our impact investment, we seek a mission lock in return for our investment. So we lock in the social mission of the organisation to make sure that they can't deviate uh, from those uh, social or environmental aims as they grow in scale. And it's been very successful so far. We've more recently raised a further round of investment from the Scottish Government and we're really significantly scaling this part of the CIS group. It's a really fascinating range of businesses. Um, and we could talk about them on a podcast on their own right, I'm sure, Amanda, but there's everything from medical technology that helps to diagnose Parkinson's <laughs> disease. Uh, we've got a business that's got a range of craft beers. Uh, we've got another venture that's involved in creating a network of electric car charging points. But what is really common to them all and what I look for in every investment yeah. committee that we have is the really clear impact intent of the founding entrepreneur or the founding team. Um, and I believe mm -hmm. that this is a trend that's only going to continue. And I believe that CIS Ventures as a thing will become a much larger and much more significant part of the CIS group over time, both in terms of its financial contribution, but also its impact contribution as well. And this is clearly an industry that works best with forging strong partnerships. Um, what sort of partnerships is CIS involved in? Um, where do you think this, and you know, what sort of innovation can you see this leading to? So I would say the biggest part of my role is probably working with those partnerships, either the existing ones that we have or fostering new ones. And yeah. I reflect on that in terms of the traditional partnerships that we have. So I very much look on the banks that were involved in the founding of CIS 20 years ago as being really key partners. And we continue uh, to rely on their support just as much as we did 20 years ago when CIS was created. But there's a range of new partnerships and emerging interests from unexpected places which create the foundation uh, for new partnerships. One of the most interesting ones that has been created in recent years has been partnerships that we've developed with retailers, sometimes large retailers uh, or small retailers. And re that really reflects the interest that there is in terms of conscious consumerism, local shopping, ethical shopping, where there's a real opportunity for social enterprises to scale and grow their activity by gaining access to mainstream retail markets. So we find ourselves now working with Asda, who, and, and originally that was Asda Walmart, at that time the largest retail in the world, which was a really unexpected place for a small impact investor in Scotland to find themselves being. But I think that the most important partnership that we we working on at the moment and will continue to do so is with entrepreneurs directly uh, and with the entrepreneurial ecosystems that they operate in. Because what we have seen over the last few years has been the emergence of that clear purpose theme and I believe that there's an obligation on organisations like CIS to support them to maintain the integrity of that purpose, 
but also signpost them to help support an investment uh, that will allow them to continue to foster that spirit of innovation uh, aligned with their objectives and purpose. And perhaps you can touch a little bit about university community, because you know this is another area that I know that you're forging our relationships with. Um, the investment boards of British universities are starting to think differently about how they allocate money, and they are very interested in impact investing just by the nature of, of uh, the, the type of organisation they are. Is this something that you are really seeing? Yeah, so I guess to continue the theme of partnerships, one of the partners that we have found ourselves working with over the last three or four years has been the university sector, and in particular, Edinburgh University, who are uh, one of the investors in one of our funds. And from, from their perspective, this has really been driven by student pressure in terms of students having more line of sight towards where the largely the endowments of these academic institutions are invested and a desire and pressure from student bodies to see more of that capital invested in not only impact investing opportunities, but very much local impact investing opportunities. And we hope it's a small investment, it's a, you know, an early stage relationship, but through that relationship, we hope that we can demonstrate to the university that this is a channel whereby they might invest capital, not only for financial return, but also to create social impact. And certainly the University of Edinburgh are leading the way in this space. And even just last week, there was the announcement of a further investment that they've made in a homelessness charity in Edinburgh alongside another impact investor to create a housing fund to purchase stock uh, that people have experienced homelessness can be housed in. So that, that's really exciting. But I think there's another aspect to the university community that's interesting to pay attention to, and that's through their spin-out activity. And through the range of uh, university spin-outs that we see, there is a really clear purpose theme emerging from student-led entrepreneurship and uh, academic-led research uh, spin-outs. And we are the impact partner of the Converse Challenge in Scotland. Uh, we support the Impact Prize as part of that competition. That's across all Scottish universities. And we're working with a group of English universities to see how we might develop a specific fund to support uh, impactful spin-out activity, I guess a bit along the same lines as CIS Ventures in terms of leading, being the leading impact investor as part of Rounds. It's been really interesting to hear how this is evolving. Now, at this stage of my podcast, I'm always keen to get a bit of inspiration for our listeners. And I generally ask my guests for a book or film that they may have seen that has inspired them. Is there something that you would like to share with the listeners that has inspired you on sustainability matters? So there's a book that really resonated with me. And actually, it's something that we share across the team at CIS, particularly for people that are starting with the organisation uh, new. And it's an easy read. It's a book called The Blue Sweater which is by Jacqueline Novogratz. Uh, and Jacqueline is one of the founders of the Acumen Fund, which is a New York-based impact investment fund uh, that operates uh, largely in the developing world. Um, and really, Acumen has been one of the, the founders and leading uh, developers of the worldwide impact investment industry. Now, I won't spoil the surprise about why the book is called The Blue Sweater and why that is relevant, but it, it gives you chills when... Uh, you actually uh, read that part of the story. But the really key part of that book that resonated with me was talking about how there was a real dignity in terms of investment rather than handouts, particularly working with entrepreneurs in sub-Saharan Africa. 
Right. And there was a real desire from the, the people in those communities that they didn't want a handout. They wanted the the dignity of the transaction of a loan. Yeah. That was something that they could take, they could build on and they could pay back. And in a in the developed world in Scotland where there was so much debate about well, we don't want investment, we would rather have grants. There was something that really resonated with me in terms of the the dignity and the maturity of that transaction uh, between investor and investee. And that's not to say that everything that impact investment does is always right, uh, but I guess at a fundamental level, there was a transaction and a relationship that was based on dignity and trust that was far more substantial than just a handout. So I would encourage everybody to go and have a read at the the blue sweater uh, and uh, you'll will, you will get a bit of a surprise when you find out why that's the title of the book well i'm i'm looking forward to adding that to my ever-growing list of books that i've been given from various uh, guests on our podcast so thank you for that that has been really good to have you with us and hear how the social impact investment community is growing so strongly and clearly there's been a lot of change and growing interest where next for impact investing do you think We've spoken a lot today about growth, and I think it's fairly certain that this is an industry that will continue to grow and evolve uh, and scale uh, over time. And I think that's something that was happening before the pandemic, but I think that the the impacts of the pandemic will create even more interest in this as an emerging theme. And I think there's a really key opportunity for the industry to grow, but grow in an authentic way. But uh, as this becomes more mainstream, I guess that I would be concerned that there is a greater pressure to be doing impact washing, a bit like what we've seen in the past in terms of green washing with environmental investments. Mm -hmm. And I do think there is a real opportunity, but also a real compulsion on those of us that have been involved in this industry for some time to be holding the mainstream industry to account and really sharing our experience and track record. Uh, to make sure that this is not something that gets swept away uh, in the mainstream and we actually lose what's really important to this industry and that ultimately uh, is about impact and changing people's lives. So that's where I think it will go next, but I think that comes with risks as well as opportunities. Thank you so much. I I think I entirely support your last word of caution there in terms of greenwashing and let's hope that um, we can make sure that that doesn't happen. You've been an inspirational guest. Thank you so much, Alistair. It's been lovely to have you with us today. It's been great to be here and having the opportunity to share some thoughts. Thanks, Amanda. Now, you've been listening to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, a podcast relating to all things responsible and sustainable investing. Thank you all for tuning in to our podcast. You can find our episodes on various podcast channels, such as SoundCloud and Apple, as well as on the Aberdeen Standard Investments website. Until our next podcast, goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Responsible Investing Podcast, brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication 
and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.